Here's everything you might have missed in Rick and Morty Season 6, Episode 2. Die Hard. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Rick and Morty is back with a riff on Die Hard, Digital Hellscapes, and Deities in Rick, A Mortwell Lived. The second episode of the season has plenty of Easter eggs, references, and implications for our heroes as we move forward. We're going to break it all down for you in just a moment, but if you haven't seen it yet, go find the nearest air vent and do a Die Hard of your own. I'm 17. No, I've never seen Die Hard. Well, neither did the guy in Die Hard, so you're nailing it. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? The episode title is based on Roy, A Life Well Lived, the infamous video game we saw back in Morty Night Run at Blips and Chits, the intergalactic arcade. The arcade is attacked by alien terrorists, which caused a glitch in Roy, A Life Well Lived. As a result, Morty's mind is fragmented and gets split among every NPC in the game. To rescue Morty, Rick must take on the role of Roy, and despite his assertions to the contrary, effectively create an organized religion around the idea that all of them are part of Morty. What about me? Am I your grandson? I just said everyone is. And through this weird cult of grandsonism, he convinces everybody they have a greater purpose in life than simply following their subroutines. Am I your grandson? Jesus, yes. Every single one of you is one five billionth of Morty. In the Q&A following the episode, co-creator Dan Harmon and producer Steve Levy confirmed that this episode riffs on both organized religion and simulation theory. It also riffs very heavily on Die Hard, hence the aforementioned alien terrorist attack. Peter Dinklage does his best Alan Rickman impression as the Hans Gruber parody, Johns. He's an alien that's both a terrorist and something of a diehard expert. Johns has a theory that much like how crabs are inevitable in evolution, every culture eventually makes its own version of Die Hard. He wrote several books on this topic, including one titled The Nakatomi Paradigm, named for Nakatomi Plaza Tower, the office building where the OG Die Hard takes place. Other names for Die Hard are Tower Man, a reference to The Towering Inferno, a movie that helped inspire Die Hard, and The Thornburg Cycle, which references Richard Thornburg, the reporter that rightfully gets punched in the face. Rick immediately clocks what's going on, and he tells Summer to just do a Die Hard, implying that he's done this before. And later, when Rick and Morty emerge from the game, John seems to recognize Rick, possibly confirming those suspicions. While Summer hasn't seen the movie, there are tons of Die Hard references and homages in this episode. And thanks to cultural osmosis, certain things like finding walkie-talkies and slinging the gun across her body are so recognizable that even Summer knows it's a Die Hard. Oh, oh, walkie-talkie, that's Die Hard. Don't have to see it to know that. When John shoots the arcade owner in the face, it parallels the interrogation of Mr. Takagi right down to the fact that there's no money in the safe and then shooting him in the face. That's a diehard. Summer's grumpy look around, go in some vents, do a diehard is a direct play on John McClane's come to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs line in the movie. That's also a diehard. The goon that Summer liquefies is named Frank, and that could be a reference to the fact that the role of John McClane was originally offered to Frank Sinatra. In 1968, Sinatra starred in a movie called The Detective, based on Roderick Thorpe's novel of the same name. Thorpe's sequel novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, was the basis for Die Hard, but Old Blue Eyes ultimately said, yippee Kai, no way. I think I'll pass. When they finally catch Summer, John says the quarterback, as they say, is toast. In Die Hard, Theo says a variation of this line when the armored police vehicle gets blown up by a rocket launcher. Oh my god, the quarterback is toast! Summer and John's conversation through walkie-talkies mirrors how John McClane and Hans Gruber speak through much of the film. And when the henchman Winslow freaks out, he mirrors Carl getting angry that McClane killed his brother. Perhaps the weird gibberish noise he makes is also in reference to the fact that none of the henchmen actors in Die Hard actually spoke German, so they just made weird gibberish noises on set that had to be dubbed over with actual German later on. 
As for the name Winslow, this is most likely a reference to Carl Winslow, another iconic cop character played by Die Hard star Reginald Vell Johnson on Family Matters. In Die Hard, Vell Johnson plays another cop, Sergeant Al Powell. When Johns asks Summer's name, she says, call me Die Hard. While Hans calls McLean cowboy most of the time, Johns calls Summer a Yankee doodle ruffian. And likewise, McLean tells Al that his name is Roy, referencing Roy Rogers, a movie cowboy who in turn inspired the yippie Kaye line in Die Hard. It's also a fitting parallel here, given how much time we spend inside Roy, a life well lived. Do you understand time dilation? I'm losing a month a second out here. Summer gets ambushed by two goons coming off the elevator, similar to John McClane's elevator encounters on the unfinished floors of Nakatomi Plaza. Unlike John McClane, though, Summer doesn't have to dodge bullets while hiding under a table. Don't hide under a long table like the guy from Die Hard. <laughs> like John McClane, she thanks her attacker, though, for the advice. Okay, I won't. Thanks for the advice. John's mocking his henchmen and asking if Summer should buy them each an ice cream two by two mirrors Theo's line about the SWAT team coming in the building in a two by two formation. As for John's plan to wander the arcade unarmed and pretend to be a hostage, that is vintage Hans Gruber. Please, God, no, you're one of them, aren't you? Unless, of course, someone keeps shouting the title line, that is. Die hard, die hard, die hard! What the hell was that? While Summer isn't barefoot, Johns does tell his henchmen to shoot the glass, just like in the movie. Shoot the glass. Shoot the glass. Johns is particularly pleased when he realizes he can take Rick and Morty hostage, as Hans does with McLean's wife, Holly. But the reference that proves too much for even Johns is when Beethoven's Ode to Joy is blasting over a boombox. This same song was used in Die Hard when they finally got that damn vault open. And later, when Johns is defeated, he says, Tocta aus Elysium, and that is a line from Ode to Joy, meaning Daughter of Elysium. The post credit scene is a parody of Die Hard with a Vengeance, referencing the sign featuring a racial epithet worn by John McClane, and the replacement villain Peter Gruber, who is Hans Gruber's brother. They even parodied Peter's goofy glasses in that movie, too. And despite the vagueness of its message, the sign actually was changed to I Hate Everybody for the TV version of this movie. It's still not as iconic as how they changed Die Hard 2's signature line for the TV edit to Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Yippie Kaye, Mr. Falcon. I don't know, maybe Summer should have gone with that instead of Yippie Dippy Doo Baby. But then again, her original impulse was pretty on the money. Walkie talkie die hard, motherfucker. Even better, though, is the weird way that John says motherfucker, which is exactly like Hans does in the movie. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> and as for taping a gun to her back, well, you don't need me to tell you that's in the film because the show already did. Anyway, folks, the episode wasn't entirely diehard references. When Rick mentions the Snyder Cut being 8% dream sequences, he's talking about the nightmare sequence during the film where Batman dreams of a dark possible future. And speaking of dark futures, perhaps the bleakest one of all is the notion that Rick just irreparably changed Morty. The aspect of Morty that was the most independent, the one that Rick was truly proud of, stayed behind in the game to let other aspects of Morty return to reality. And it's clear now that Morty is different. He tells Rick at the end, you know best, and I trust you implicitly. And this can have major repercussions later on in the same vein as Morty's Mind Blowers, where Rick had been removing Morty's bad memories for years and years. The portion of Morty's personality that sees Rick for who he really is still lives on, and we've already seen what can happen when a Morty grows to resent Rick just a little too much. 
The damaged Roy A Life Well Lived unit is stored at the Blips and Chits warehouse in a sequence parodying the ending of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Unlike the identical crates in Raiders, this might actually be easily accessible thanks to their robust digital records, but that's a problem for future Ricks to solve. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted in the latest Rick and Morty. We'll be back next week with another breakdown, but if you want to overthink even more pop culture in the meantime, then commenters, Bubby, I can be your white knight over on Nerdist.com. In the meantime, though, tell us, what did you think of this episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? You're amazing. You figured this all out already. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. 